Father, I pray that as we open your word tonight, that your truth would be planted in our hearts. Lord, you've already tilled up the ground with your spirit tonight through song and praising you. Father, I pray that your word would be planted deep in our hearts tonight, that we wouldn't walk away from here and be like the rocky ground where the word is taken away after we hear it. God, I pray that our hearts would be ready to receive. Father, I thank you for loving us. Father, I thank you for your mercy and for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight, I've been given the charge to speak on a topic. And uh, the topic is the biblical worldview of sexual immorality. Pastor David, a few weeks ago, preached on the biblical worldview of alcoholic beverage. And he asked the question, is it wise for a Christian to partake in alcoholic beverage? He didn't say, is it a sin? He said, is it, is it wise? And we came to the conclusion in Scripture that it's not wise, that we should abstain. So tonight, I'm going to look at the biblical worldview of sexual immorality. We're going to look at what Scripture says, and then we're going to ask this question. Am I willing? In our, in our current sex-driven culture, are we willing to stand on what the Word of God says concerning sexual immorality? And I think uh, before we can even come to answer that question, we have to answer the question about Scripture as a whole. Before I even open this book, can I come to this book surrendering, already surrendered, and can I come to this book and live obediently to what God tells me, regardless of what it says? Uh, if this book says recovering drug addicts have to stand on their head five hours a day, <laughs> would I be willing to do it? I know it sounds ridiculous, but that's not the point. <laughs> the point is, can I be surrendered to what the Lord says? Can I have faith enough that it will affect my actions and what I do? I want to talk a little bit about my own story uh, before, as an introduction to this passage. You can go ahead and turn, if you'd like, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and uh, we'll be reading verses 9 through 20. Uh, but as an introduction, I want to share with you uh, my own journey and what the Lord has brought me from and brought me through. When I was a young man uh, in this area of sexual immorality, I was molested by someone who our family trusted, someone who professed to be a Christian, took my innocence and the innocence of my brother. And as a young man, it's hard to deal with. How do you reconcile that? As a young man, who, who do you go to? Um, I'm, I'm sorry to say that I didn't, I didn't talk about it for 17 years. I held it in. I medicated it. Uh, I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin, and anything that I could do to change the way I felt, I did. 
So I got into pornography and got into uh, sleeping around. I got into drugs, alcohol, uh, binge watching TV, <laughs> Any, anything uh, I, could, I could do to change the way I, I was feeling, I did it. And um, in 2005, Melissa and myself, my wife Melissa, who's an amazing example of God's grace and mercy. We were married in 2003, and by 2005, or the end of 2005, I had an affair. And uh, all of this while professing to be a Christian. And uh, so I had an affair, and, and long story short, I went to Pure Life Ministries. Pure Life Ministries is a, a ministry in Kentucky, and I was there for six months. And uh, after two weeks, I wanted to leave, come home. <laughs> Couldn't stand it, all right? My flesh was ready to get out of there. And um, so I sat with my counselor, and, and he brought in another, another pastor, and they were talking with me. And uh, ultimately, I was faced with the decision. Life or death. If I left that program that night, there's no doubt in my mind that I would either be dead or still on the path to death. But that night, God grabbed a hold of my heart. The best I can figure the date, it was January 2nd, 2006. That's the night I gave my heart to the Lord. That's the night he changed me. That's the night that all the head knowledge that I had grown up with took that 18-inch journey into my heart. And that began a long, difficult road out of addiction for me. But I'm thankful that the Lord is not done with me yet. There was a time in my life where I felt hopeless, but God's not done with me yet. He met me where I was, with his word, with his kindness, with his grace, with his mercy, and with his servants. My father is here tonight, and, uh, you know, I could spend the next 20 minutes talking about him, but I won't. <laughs> but he's been a major influence in my life, uh, one of the most godly men I know. But he's human, too. <laughs> He'll be the first one to tell you that. And um, so what, what qualifies me to teach on this subject or to preach God's Word? Well, I've, I've lived it, and I'm still living it every day. You know, it's not good enough to say I'm six years clean and sober. It's not good enough. I can't rely on that. I have to rely on Jesus Christ every day. I have to rely on his word. Jesus said he is the bread of life. He said man shall not live by bread alone, but by the very word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And I found that if I go to the word of God and I fill up on this, then when I go throughout my day and the world throws me things and the enemy throws me things to tempt me or my flesh sees something and wants it, when that happens, if I've already filled up on his word, I'm not hungry for the other things, right? He gives me life. This sustains me. And so 
Again, let's get back to the chief controlling thought tonight. What is the, what's the question that we want to be able to answer? And that question, again, is in our current sex-driven cultural climate, am I willing to stand on what the Word of God says about sexual immorality? The Bible is very clear in stating that sex was created by God as a good thing to be had between one man and one woman and within the confines of marriage. Anything outside of that falls under the umbrella of sexual immorality. Anything outside of that. In Matthew, um, I, don't, I don't have time to read all these scriptures, so I want to challenge you as I'm stating the references. Would you write them down? And, uh, and do, do some of the research for yourself and, and let the Lord speak to you through his word as I go throughout this. So in Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 6, the Pharisees asked Jesus, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus, without missing a beat, points to Genesis. The very first word that was given on this subject, Jesus points right back to it. He didn't abandon his father's word. He said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Paul does the same thing. Paul does not forsake the word of the living God. Paul uses the parallel of a husband and a wife, uh, and, he, and he compares that with Christ and the church and the relationship there. But he repeats that same verse from Genesis in that passage of Scripture. He doesn't forsake, regardless of the cultural climate, Around them, Jesus and Paul, they didn't forsake God's word. They stood on God's word. Jesus, we know, was obedient throughout his entire life. So let's talk about um, the different kinds of sexual immorality real quick, and then I want to get into our passage. So uh, one of the things in our culture that is gaining more popularity is polygamy. Polygamy is more than one spouse. Um, it is expressly forbidden for church leaders in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. I would challenge you to write that down. But not just for the el elders. Paul also wrote that each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. And that's found in 1 Corinthians, just one chapter over. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. On and on, Scripture goes. You name it. Any sex outside of the biblical definition uh, is sexual immorality. Adultery, polygamy, homosexuality, bestiality, premarital sex, pedophilia, prostitution, pornography, and masturbation. And yes, pornography and masturbation counts as sexual immorality. We see this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, Jesus is quoting the Old Testament, and he said, in the Old Testament, the old law, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But he said, I say to you that any man who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is sexual immorality. Viewing pornography and, and masturbation falls in that, regardless of what our culture says. This is what the Word of God says. Are we willing to stand on it? So let's take a look at the main text uh, tonight. And, and if you would, stand with me to honor God's Word. And let's read from verse 9 down to verse 20. Paul is addressing the church here. I think it's important to note before we start reading, Paul is addressing the church. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy both one and then the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are a member of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. I want to stop and note that. Flee. This same idea and term is found when Joseph is being tempted by Potiphar's wife. Right? When she reached out and said, I want to commit sexual immorality with you. He ran. He fled. Run. Regardless of how tight of a grip the enemy has, run. Flee. Paul says, flee. It's a command. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin that a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your own body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Father, I pray that you would honor the reading of your word. Lord, you tell us that your word doesn't return void. I pray that you help me now speak your word accurately. And Father, I pray that you would do the drawing of our hearts closer and closer to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to look at these, 
these terms here. Um, there, there are four instances here where sexually immoral or sex, uh, sexual immorality is used. And there are two different words. Uh, so I want to look at these real quick. In verse 9, I want you to take a look at sexually immoral in verse 9. The Greek word is pornos or pornos. And, and this is a, the definition of this is a man who prostitutes his own body for another's lust for hire. It's a male prostitute, a man who indulges in unlawful sexual intercourse, a fornicator. But then look down with me in verse 13. When he uses sexual immorality, it's a slightly different term. The term is pornaya, and pornaya means illicit sexual intercourse. Adultery, fornication, homosexuality, lesbianism, intercourse with animals, sexual intercourse with close relatives, sexual intercourse with a divorced man or woman. But in the Old Testament, it's also used as a metaphor between the children of Israel and Yahweh and their relationship between Yahweh and, and his chosen people. And it's, it has the connotation of the children of Israel defiling themselves by, by idolatry, by eating animals that have been sacrificed to idols. So it has two, two meanings. But as we've seen in the beginning of the scripture here, that anything outside the confines of marriage between one man and one woman is named in this. And we can take into account that this is the way God designed it. So I want to take a look at sexual immorality. What, what is the root of sexual immorality? Where does it come from? Where, how does this happen? Um, so I want to first look at the problem of sin. If you'll go on to the next slide there. The problem of sin. And I want to look at two areas. I want to look at the roots and the fruits. Call them roots and fruits, right? Uh, you've heard, you know, an orange tree bears oranges, an apple tree bears apples, right? Roots and fruits. So I want to look at the roots. What is the root of sexual immorality? And so to answer this question, we have to go back to the very beginning of sin. Where do we first find, chronologically, the beginning of sin? Well, we have to look at when Satan got thrown out of heaven. Right? So in Isaiah, uh, you can write this down, Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. You know, Satan didn't get thrown out of heaven because he looked at pornography. <laughs> Satan, he didn't get thrown out of heaven because he committed adultery. He got tossed out of heaven because he said in his heart, in his heart, he said, I will exalt my throne above his stars. In other words, I'll, I'll be God. I'm going to call the shots. That's the root. It's the pride. It was his unrighteous pride that got him kicked out of heaven. It wasn't the symptoms. It wasn't the fruit. It was the unrighteous pride of saying, I'll be God. Yeah, God, you have your definition of good and evil, but I want to have my own. Right? 
and he got kicked out of heaven for it. Ravi Zacharias, uh, he's, a, he's a famous apologist. When he was commenting on this scripture, he said there's a very short distance between the head and the neck. And he said if you stare at the halo on your head long enough, you'll quickly reposition it into a noose. This is what happens with Satan. This is what happens with us because we're born into sin. It started with Adam and Eve. Look at the temptation in the garden, right? Eve, when Satan tempted Eve, what was the temptation? He didn't say, um, how about some sexual immorality? No. He tempted her by saying, Wait, did God say that you'll die if you eat of the fruit? So he calls God a liar. And then, he, and then he says, no, if you eat of this fruit, you'll be like God. It's the same temptation that we see him getting thrown out of heaven for. This all starts at that level. He says, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil for yourself. God has his own definition, but you can have your own definition of good and evil. You can be like God. And so Adam and Eve ate the fruit, and they traded in their walk with God. They traded that in for sin, and I'll be God. And they did what was right in their own eyes from then on out. And from that time on, we've been dealing with sin ever since at the level of pride and wanting to play God. We also see that um, God handed out consequences for Adam and Eve, and he handed out consequences for the serpent, right? What are the consequences of the serpent? He said, you'll crawl on your belly the rest of your days and eat the dust of the earth. And as I was studying this for this sermon, something hit me. What did God form Adam out of? Dust. Ever since this time, the enemy has been feeding on our flesh, feeding on us, and tempting us. Satan's kingdom is built around one idea, and that idea is, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. That's the greatest commandment in his kingdom. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. In other words, do what you want to do, and that sums up everything. Do what feels good. Does that sound familiar? We live in a culture that does what it wants. We, we do what feels good. In God's kingdom, it's different. God's kingdom, his greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And Jesus said the second commandment is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he said... All of the law and the prophets, everything you've heard up until now, it depends on these two commandments. It hangs on these two commandments. If you start here, get outside of yourself, pour yourself out completely, love God with everything you are, and love your neighbor as yourself, then all the other commands of Jesus fall right in place, and we won't have a problem saying, yes, sir, and being surrendered to his authority. So we got two kingdoms. 
fighting. You know, um, some examples are more uh, poignant than others. Some, some examples are more obvious than others. But I want to look at a more subtle example, right? Being a parent of five children. It's a lot. <laughs> uh, but I want to take a look at something. So in Jeremiah 17.9, Jeremiah states that the heart, the human heart, is deceitful and wicked above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it, right? Think about Disney's message. What is Disney's message to us? Come on, you know it. You can answer, I'm not going <laughs> to. What's Disney's message to us? Follow your, follow your heart. Wait, what a, wait, follow my heart? You want me to follow the thing that's desperately wicked above all things? Who can know it? And, you know, I would even move to say on some levels that, you know, Jiminy Cricket is satanic. <laughs> I mean, if you wish upon a star, right? <laughs> Sorry, I needed to laugh too. <laughs> it's a heavy subject. <laughs> We even ask our children, though, you know, we ask our, think about the questions that we ask our children regarding life, right? What do you want to be when you grow up? It's a harmless question, but is it? What do you want to be when you grow up? We're, we're, it's almost like we're pointing them in that direction of do what you want to do. It'll be the whole of the law. That's, that's the enemy's ground, it's hard to take a look at. It's worth taking a look at while we still can before, before it's too late. What ground are we walking on? Uh, you, you know, when I say things like that, you may think, man, Phil, you're old school. You know, you, that's, man, you're just brainwashed. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know about you, but my brain needed a good scrubbing. <laughs> After everything I had lived through and done, right? Needed to, God needed to take that thing out, man. Take some 409 or magic eraser or something to it. Man, my mind was filthy. <laughs> I, I need a good scrubbing, right? And um, so I wanna, we've looked at the roots, and I want to look at the fruits of sexual immorality. And i got to hurry up here. I want to show you why we all need a good scrubbing of our minds, uh, and I just want to name some statistics here. Remember what I said about our main passage that Paul was talking to the church. So I want to give you some t statistics that come out of the church from professing Christians. Um, and these statistics are from 2014, so I can imagine after four years it's gotten a little worse. The first one is this. 79% of 18 to 30-year-olds professing Christians view pornography at least twice a month. And all the ages together, on average, 
counts as 64% viewing pornography every, uh, twice every month. 37% of professing Christians say that they look at porn several times a week. At work, Christians are watching pornography at the same rate as the national average, 65%. Thirty-five percent of professing Christians say, uh, married Christians say that they have had an extramarital affair. In our nation alone, one in three girls and one in six boys are molested sexually before the age of 16. This is the climate that we live in. The fruit, it, it, you know, the fruit of living in sexual immorality, it leads to shame. I know. <laughs> it leads to shame and guilt and hopelessness and addiction and eventually death. Uh, in Proverbs 5, uh, verse 5, we see that the forbidden woman's feet go down to death, that her steps follow the path to Sheol or hell. Again, in Proverbs 7, we see that the adulteress has... Uh, he, she has a slain that are a mighty throng. In other words, she has a lot, of, a lot of guys who have fallen for her and that are dead. Her house is the way to Sheol or hell. And out of those verses in chapter 7, one that strikes me the most is in verse 23. It says that he's being led away as an ox is being led away to the slaughter. But the, th the phrase that catches me and catches my eye is that he, it says he doesn't even know it. He's deceived. He doesn't even know it. We got to wake up. I love you. We got to wake up. We got to repent. <laughs> this is urgent. My prayer for myself and for you tonight is we wouldn't ignore this. Let's hold each other accountable. Stop walking in the darkness. Stop trying to hide. Let's walk in the light. I'm, I'm moved that we put buckets outside the restrooms. Throw your phone in that bucket before you go into the restroom. That's walking in accountability. That's walking in accountability. Let's talk to you. Let's, let's say, how you doing? And not just how you doing, but how are you really doing? Brother to brother, how you really doing? Let's love each other and hold each other accountable. Boy, I'm about out of time. So let's look at uh, the solution for sin. Quickly. We've already read the passage, so I'm gonna, I want to skim over these points, but you can study this. The warning is given in verses 9 and 10. He gives us a warning. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, like the man in Proverbs, right? Proverbs 7. Don't be deceived. 
neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He gives us a reminder, the reminder in verses 11 through 14, the reminder that we have been bought with a price, that we were once like that, but God came and redeemed us through Jesus. He says, do, not, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? He said, can I take the members of the body of Christ and join them with a prostitute? No. Flee sexual immorality. Run from it. Again, it doesn't matter how much the enemy has a hold of already. Just like Potiphar's wife had a hold of Joseph's jacket. Does that make sense? He fled. He left his jacket behind. He said, I don't care. Keep my jacket. I'm gone. He fled because he wanted to honor God. So what is our response to this? Before we can repent, we have to realize that we're the worst of sinners. We're all born that way. Go ahead and, um, yeah, keep going. So what is redemption in motion? What does that mean? Redemption in motion is our response. Not just praying a prayer, but what is our response? And we have to respond with repentance on our faces. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with this because I'm out of time. I want to tell you a story, a quick one, and then you're going to have an opportunity. We're going to give an invitation to, if you don't know the Lord, to come to him, and if you're a Christian who's strayed, to walk in repentance. But I want to tell you a story. Stephen was a spiritual leader in my life. Stephen taught me truth. Truth like, you know, it doesn't matter what you say. Whatever it is that you truly believe is going to work itself out in your circumstances. I shouldn't have to tell you what I believe. If you want to know what I believe, watch my feet. Watch where I go. Watch what I do. Because we're told in the Word of God that it is evident, there's evidence, of whether or not we're children of God or children of the devil. Stephen taught me truth, but Stephen also relapsed, and he ended up in South Carolina, and he ended up murdering his parents. And my first question was, how? How do you go from walking in the light to walking in darkness? and murdering your parents. So that's my first question. And God stopped me dead in my tracks, and he said, Philip, if it wasn't for my grace and mercy, you would have murdered your parents. We are desperately sick people, and we're in need of a Savior. And my heart aches every day for Christians, professing Christians that say, that admit to looking at pornography and sinning on a regular basis. 
with no conviction. The Bible says if you continue sinning, you're lost. And my heart breaks. And I, want to, I don't want to throw out a condemning message. But if you're walking in sin and you don't have any conviction, come to Jesus. Don't wait another moment. Come to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us. I thank you, Lord, that it's not too late and that we have an opportunity right now to walk in repentance and come to you. Father, I love you. Thank you for saving my life. And thank you for giving me freedom from the law of sin and death. Father, I love you and praise you in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe you're here this evening and maybe you've been struggling like Phil has been speaking about tonight. Uh, we're not here to embarrass anybody. We're not here to try to condemn anybody. What we're here to do is to promote hope and the only hope is in Jesus Christ. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here and maybe you've been struggling with sexual sin, and tonight the Holy Spirit of God just spoke into your heart and said the only way that you're going to get over this, you can't turn over a new leaf, you can't promise to do better, you've got to give your life to Jesus. And when Pastor Phil was talking about this issue of the fact of the matter is if you just continue to sin, then maybe, you're, maybe you were never truly saved. Dear friend, think about that just for a moment. For those that are born again, Jesus Christ renews. If there's no conviction, then there's no Christ. Oh, dear friend, why don't you give your heart to Jesus tonight? Right where you're sitting, why don't you say something like this to him? Would you say, dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on Calvary's cross for my sin. And tonight I'm surrendering to you. And God, I ask you to forgive me of my sin and save me. Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you.